Thanks, Liz. Um, we're not going to do, we are live now. We're not going to do announcements today. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good morning, church and valued guests at home. My name is Jamie, and I am one of the pastors here. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your peace. And uh, we ask that you would help us hear your truth today and only your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, <clears throat> today we're going to, this is like part two, a continuation of last week. Um, so we're going to finish up the 18th chapter of Matthew. And um, it's where Jesus and his disciples are heading toward Jerusalem because it's getting close to the time for Jesus to be crucified. And he tells them that he will be arrested and killed and raised up three days later. So on their way, Jesus takes time to instruct his disciples, <clears throat> his future church leaders. He instructs them on how to deal with sin in the church and what to do when someone in our kingdom family like sins against another. And the first point that he makes is don't sin against each other. He says you should tie a giant millstone to your neck and throw yourself into the sea rather than sin against your brother or your sister. And remember we talked about he's not actually telling us to kill ourselves. He's making a point. And he wants us to take our sins with deadly seriousness. I should rather die or want to maim myself before I should want to sin or hurt one of my brothers or sisters. Like, that's how serious this is. But Jesus knows his disciples. He knows us, and he knows that we are going to mess up. In verse 7, he said, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Such things must come. And we are a kingdom family, and family is messy. And when I talk about family, I always tell you that family is messy. I want you to believe that. Jesus knows we will mess up, so he gives us this good instruction on what to do if one of our brothers or sisters sins against us. And, uh, and also, it tells us what to do if we are the offender, right? <clears throat> if we have sinned against someone, uh, we should repent. Uh, and what do you suppose is actually easier, saying, I'm sorry I hurt you, or cutting off your hand? So Jesus gives us this instruction. And what is it? It's to talk to each other. Verse 15, he tells us to confront the sinner. And he says, if the offender listens to you, then you have won your brother. In older translations, they word it as you have gained your brother. 
And this is really important because uh, he's using law language. Instead of taking this slight against you to a court of law, you have a chat about it. And uh, because maybe this issue isn't quite the thing that you thought it was. You know, maybe it wasn't a sin at all. Maybe it's a misunderstanding. But if you don't have a chat about it, you will never know. So if it is a sin and you have a chat about it and the offender apologizes, you have gained your brother. In a law court, if you, if you take someone to court because they wronged you, you would hope to gain something from them, a repayment. But here, Jesus tells us that what we are to gain from this confrontation is not a pound of flesh, right? We are to gain our family member back. Amen. Amen. I mean, isn't that kind of lovely? The first step in dealing with sin in the church is to make an opportunity to win your brother or sister back to the family. And I want you to know, I want that. If I sin against you, if I hurt you, if I disappoint you, I would love to have an opportunity to chat with you about it and see if we can work out what the issue is before you decide to just cut me off or leave the church or spread hateful rumors about me. Yeah. Does anyone else want that? Yeah. yeah, you want that opportunity? Now, I am human, and you are human. And the more time we spend together, the chances are we're going to cross each other. And we're going to have misunderstandings and hurts and disappointments. And Jesus gives us this way of navigating through it. And the first step is talking. Okay, so last week I gave the example of stealing Karen's crockpot. Right? Wow. <laughs> Twice, that's right. <laughs> and, we, and we went through that. I don't have to go over that again, do I? Right? She comes to me. I won't give it back. She takes it to someone else. Won't give it back. We take it to the church. Like, we have to announce it to the church. Like, <laughs> Jamie stole the crock pot. She's not giving it back. Twice. <laughs> right? The whole family needs to be informed that their sister, me, is not behaving as a sister in Christ. Right? And I should not be trusted. I should not be trusted. Now, confrontation is hard, and it feels uncomfortable, but it's the way Jesus tells us to handle things in the church. Okay, that being said, if someone commits like a felony against you, I want you to call the proper authorities, okay? Because it's one thing if I gossip about Liz, and it's another thing if I go to her house to burn it to the ground. Like, don't take that to the church. I'm just really recommending that you call the police. 911, just do it. Okay. 
So now we're going to talk about the next thing that Jesus tells his disciples about, and that is forgiveness. A kingdom family talks it out. And if the sinner doesn't repent, you treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. And that doesn't mean you get to hate the person. And it doesn't mean you get to retaliate in some way. Okay, Jesus talks about not retaliating in the Sermon on the Mount, right? He says, turn the other cheek. But you are in no way obligated to ever be alone with the person who will not repent. Okay. So after Jesus tells them this, this was in chapter 18. We're going to start with verse 21. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with him, uh, his wife, his children, and all that he had. And that was the payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So Jesus concludes his how to handle conflict within the kingdom family chat, uh, talking about forgiveness. And this is nothing new. Jesus has told them about forgiveness before. In chapter 6, while he's giving the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches them how to pray to their Father in heaven, right? We call it the Lord's Prayer. And in it, he teaches us to ask for our daily bread. And then to ask the Father to forgive our sins, our debts, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And then, right after that, in verse 14, Jesus says to them very plainly, in case anyone is confused or looking for a loophole, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So being instructed in forgiveness is not new to the disciples. But here in chapter 18, Peter is asking a question. He wants maybe some clarification. Lord, how often should I forgive my brother when he sins against you, uh, sins against me? Seven times? And he thinks he's being pretty generous. Like, wow, to forgive someone seven times. Like, if I stole seven of Karen's crockpots, right? <laughs> like, can we draw a line under that? Like, are we done? But Jesus throws Peter's human generosity, our human generosity, right out the window. Like, you think seven times is generous. Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, does Jesus literally mean 77 times? Is Jesus telling us we can keep score? Like, I wish. <laughs> no, I don't have time for that. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, does Karen get a scorecard? Is she like, all right, Jamie, that is 76 crockpots. You are skating on thin ice. <laughs> no. <laughs> 77 is an absurd amount. He uses this number to get our attention, right? The number seven, it represents perfection or wholeness. So to have two sevens, this is like an abundance of perfection. Jesus uses this number to emphasize that we should abundantly forgive our brothers and sisters. So I was looking at this number, 77, because um, I wanted to see how else it was used in the Bible. And um, I, and I found <laughs> some things, but um, what was really cool is I, I didn't just find the 77. There's this one other story in the Bible that uses the phrase not seven times, but 77 times. And this story is not talking about forgiveness. So if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, you get the Cain and Abel story, right? Two brothers, both bring an offering to the Lord. And God liked Abel's offering, but he didn't like Cain's offering. And Cain got angry. And the Lord warns Cain. He gives him a warning. He knows what's going to happen, right? He says, sin is crouching at the door. You must rule over it. But what happens? We know what happens, right? He murders his brother. And then God curses him. And Cain feels really sorry for himself. And he was like, well, now I'm as good as dead. Someone's going to come kill me. But God makes a promise to Cain. He says, no, if anyone kills you, then vengeance will be on him sevenfold. 
Now, Cain is exiled from God's presence, right? And he's doomed to live a life of misery. Uh, but he does manage to start a family. <laughs> and um, about five or six generations down Cain's line is born this real bold dude named Lamech. And Lamech's story is one of those weird little blips of a story that you run into from time to time in the Bible where you read it and you go like, what on earth was that about? Like, how did this make the cut? And in uh, chapter 4, verse 19, we're told that Lamech took two wives. He's the first person mentioned in the Bible to take two wives. And he fathers kids with the wives, and they make musical instruments. Like, and I thought, oh, well, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, and then, out of nowhere, the very next sentence, Lamech sings a song to his two wives. And he sings... You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And that's it. That is the weird, why is this in the Bible, that story went nowhere story of Lamech. But let's look at it for a second. Here we have the great, 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 great grandson of Cain. And remember, Cain has his moment of violence. Oh, but remember, he was warned first by God. God warned him, sin is crouching at your door. You must rule over it. He still gives in and murders his brother. But here we have five generations later, and it would seem that in the telling of the family story, like the part about ruling over sin, like it wasn't something they worked on or passed down because now we have Lamech, a big brute of a man who is really happy to sing about himself. And the thing he chooses to brag about is that he killed a young man. He killed a young man who hit him. Is that an equal retaliation? No. And then he takes God's word that God would avenge Cain sevenfold and he would kill him. He takes that promise of God and he, a human, he twists it and he takes it for himself. But it's not good enough for him. It's not vengeful enough for Lamech. So he says not seven times, but for Lamech, 77 times. And then a bazillion years go by. And the next time we hear this phrasing, not seven times, but 77 times, the next time we hear it is Jesus talking about forgiveness. And isn't that such a Jesus thing to do? He takes this phrase, and it's a very human story. Lamech is our human condition, right? We are a violent, vengeful species. It took one generation after the fall before we murdered someone. And then it just got worse. And here we are, and as enlightened as we think we are, we're still violent and vengeful. And even if we're not physically 
violent, the vengeance in our heart. We don't want just repayment when we're wronged, right? Think about our court system, right? Think about how many times, like, I'm going to sue you for everything, right? It doesn't have to be physically violent to be vengeance. This is how humans think. It's our base behavior. And Jesus is taking this story of extreme retaliation and revenge, and he turns it on its head and changes it into abundant forgiveness. No, we, we don't forgive seven times in our kingdom. We forgive 77 times. We forgive a double perfect number of times. We forgive abundantly. God's kingdom is not like an earthly kingdom. And just to drive his point home, he tells his disciples the parable, right? The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And a servant was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And now the footnote in my Bible said that a talent was like a monetary unit worth 20 years' wages for a laborer. So it's like 10,000 lifetimes of work. Okay, this servant has accrued 10,000 lifetimes of debt. It is a ridiculous number, right? It's like saying he owed a kajillion dollars. Like, just never stop writing down zeros. Just keep going. And Jesus picks this absurd amount of debt, like, just like he picks the number 77. It's an absurd amount. It's crazy. It's to get your attention. The servant couldn't pay the kajillion dollars to the king. So the king ordered him and his family and all of his stuff to be sold as payment. In verse 26, the servant fell on his knees and begged, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. How? How on this earth is this man going to pay back 10,000 lifetimes of wages? And the disciples listening to this would also be thinking that, like, how? It's an impossible amount to pay back. 27, it says, out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Like, out of pity? <laughs> that sounds way more than pity. That's to cancel 10,000 lifetimes of debt. Like, that sounds a lot like compassion and love. The king forgives the debt, so the servant leaves, and he runs across a fellow servant who owes him 100 denarii. Now, context clues <laughs> tells us that this is a much smaller amount than 10,000 lifetimes of wages. And I Googled it, and I, I couldn't get a straight answer. They were like, well, it depends on which country and what year the denarii, da-da-da. But it's something between like 40 cents and $2 is what a denarii was worth. So let's go big, right? He owes the guy $200. Now, I don't know about you, $200, that's a lot of money to me. But compared to 10,000 lifetimes of money, like $200 is almost $0. 
but the servant. In verse 28, he grabs him by the throat and he chokes him. <laughs> what? Sir, your Lamech is showing. <laughs> he chokes him and says, pay what you owe. Like this guy is over the top. And the other servant falls down and he pleads, have patience with me and I will pay you. This man, he does and says the exact same thing that the first servant said to the king. Right? They both fell to their knees and begged for patience and a chance to pay back what they owed. And the first guy is forgiven his impossible to pay back kajillion dollars. But when the other guy owes a much easier amount to pay back to him, like $200, that's a lot of money, but it's an attainable goal compared to kajillions of dollars. But he doesn't forgive the small debt, and he doesn't give the guy a chance to pay it back. He has him thrown in prison. He makes it impossible for him to pay it back. Verse 31 says, When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to the king all that had taken place. And this reminds me of the warning that Jesus gave the disciples earlier in the chapter. We talked about last week. Uh, it was verse 10. Jesus says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, these believers. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. It's a warning. The king is listening. The king is paying attention. Verse 32, the master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. In some translations, the word jailers is torturers. So the servant is tortured until he can pay back his debt. Can you earn money when you are in prison being tortured? No. And also, that's not like a metaphor for your job. <laughs> if you feel like your job is a prison where you're tortured, like, let's pray for you after church. <laughs> So, just like in the Sermon on the Mount where he teaches his disciples to pray, he tells them again, you must forgive your brother or sister if you want God the Father to forgive you. That has not changed. So, what does he tell his disciples, us, about forgiveness? He tells us to forgive abundantly. And he compares forgiveness to canceling a debt. So when one of our brothers or sisters sins against us, or if we sin against them, it's like a debt. A debt has been created, and God wants us to forgive that debt. It is so important to him 
that we do this? And why? Because he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. God judges us forgiven. He canceled our 10,000 lifetimes worth of debt that we owe him. And it's so important to God that he makes it very clear. If you want God the Father to forgive you, you must forgive those who sin against you. Forgive abundantly. That is what kingdom people are called to do. Does Jesus say it's easy? No. Does he say anywhere in this chapter or in any of the Gospels that forgiving those who sin against you is easy? No. Because Jesus doesn't lie. He knows we are humans who fail at loving perfectly every day. He knows we are capable of Lamech-style vengeance. Forgiveness isn't easy, but it is not impossible. And we are told to do it. So here are some quick thoughts on forgiveness. Does forgiveness mean you are condoning the sin? No. It never says that. Jesus does not say that. Does forgiveness mean there are no consequences for the sin? No. Jesus never says that. Does forgiveness mean there must be reconciliation between the two? No. Because the reality is sometimes reconciliation is impossible. If they don't repent, you treat them like you would a pagan. Does that mean you are obligated to do life with them anymore? No. Are you to forgive? Yes. But sometimes reconciliation is impossible for other reasons, like sometimes people die. So reconciliation is wonderful. But it's not always possible. Now, does Jesus tell us to forgive and forget? No. (laughs) That's not in the Bible. In Hebrews, there's a passage where the author is talking about God making his covenant with Israel, and he says... For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. But when Jesus tells us to forgive each other in this chapter in Matthew, or the Sermon on the Mount, or any other gospel, does he say forgive and forget? No. And how would we even do that? If we did forgive and forget, how would we ever learn what's right and wrong? How could we learn from our mistakes if we forgot everything? I think the church has perpetuated this myth 
of forgive and forget, and I think it has done far more harm than good. Now, does this mean we get to hold a grudge? No. If you're holding a grudge against someone for sinning against you, that is an indicator that you have not forgiven them. And it's the same with bitterness. The author of Hebrews warns against that in chapter 12. He says, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. So if you have a grudge or bitterness, you need to check your heart, and you need to talk to God, work on that forgiveness. Yeah. So, are we good? Is anyone confused by anything? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm feeling a lot better. (laughs) I know. I have two at home. I don't know why I'm stealing Karen's crockpots. (laughs) No. So, let's sum up chapter 18. Jesus is preparing his disciples to be future church leaders, and he's telling them how to deal with conflict between each other. And he wants them, he wants us, to take sin with a deadly seriousness. He wants us to love each other so much that we would rather die than sin against each other. Yeah. But he knows that we're humans. He knows we're going to mess this up. Our pride, our jealousy... Our weakness to temptation, we're going to mess up from time to time. So he gives us instructions on how to deal with it within our kingdom family, within our church. And then he tells us whether there is repentance or not, you must forgive those who sin against you. You must forgive abundantly. It's non-negotiable. There's no loopholes here. It's a pretty tough chapter, but we made it, (laughs) and and I have one more thing to say, because it's very important that you know this, Um, and this isn't the sermon, this is part prophet, part confession. Because I know that Jesus gives us this way of dealing with conflict, right? Talk to each other. He gives us that whole method that we read about last week. But what I have to be honest with you about is that this will not always work because we are humans. We are Lamex. And we're going to sin against each other when we implement the method Jesus gave us to deal with the times that we sin against each other. And I know this because it has happened to me. Here. And I cannot stand up here and preach this and pretend that it works here. I can't guarantee this for you. 
And I don't think that the church, our church, and the church as a whole, the whole global church, I don't think the church is good at this at all. I want you to think of all the church scandals you have ever heard of. Do they go well? I want you to think of the centuries of covering up sex abuse in the Catholic Church. And I'm not bashing the Catholic Church, so don't hear that. So the church now and throughout all of history is notoriously bad at handling sin within its family. And you need to know that. Church is not the safe place that it should be, sadly. And it's because we are human. We are Lamech more often than we are Christ-like. And I can't change the church globally, and, uh, and I can't change this church, right? I want our church to be a healthy kingdom family. And right now we're not. And it makes me profoundly sad. And I want our family to be a family who talks to each other. I want us to be a family who forgives abundantly. And I want us to be a family who repents quickly. I want us to be so good at all of this that it's noticeable. I want other people to see us and think like, wow, they are so different. They're so peaceful. How? What do they have? How can I get that? And then we can tell them what we have. We have a savior, a servant king who loves so perfectly, a brother who taught us how to be human. And I can't make any of you do this. But I can choose to live this better way Jesus tells us. And with his help, I can do it. And I can model it for you. And you. You can choose this better way of Jesus too. And with his help, you can do it. And you can model it to me. Does anybody else want this? Thank you. Jesus, please hear the cry of our hearts. Let's pray. Holy, almighty, unshakable one, thank you for inviting us to your kingdom. And thank you for blessing us with family. And we confess that we are weak, that we often choose pride over humility, and we behave like Lamech. And we're so sorry. Please forgive us. And Holy Spirit, will you help us live the way Jesus said to? Will you change our hearts and make them soft? We want to forgive abundantly, and we want to repent quickly. We want to take our sin with deadly seriousness because that is how seriously the Father takes it. Jesus, thank you for coming here and showing us how to be human, how to live in God's kingdom.
Your love is perfect. Your death, your resurrection, your sacrifice was perfect. Thank you. We cannot repay our 10,000 lifetimes worth of debt to you, God. But because of Jesus, you have canceled our debt and you judge us as forgiven. And we love you. And we love your ways. Will you please hear us and please answer quickly? In Jesus' name, amen.